Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where we chug wine and talk about women from history you may not have heard of. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily, and that was so professional. Good. Like, I'm, I'm proud. It was beautiful, but I feel like new listeners are going to have some really incorrect expectations based on your lovely intro. No. Because it is just going to dissolve into madness from here on out. Well, yeah, that's every episode. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's what our fans have come to expect. And love. Hopefully love. No, they have to love it. <laughs> well, I mean. If they're our fans, they have to love it. No one's making you listen right now. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. We're very excited to talk about some badass babes from Herstory you probably haven't heard of. Kelly, do you have a say their name? <clears throat> Sorry, losing my voice. No, I actually don't this week. Okay, I don't either, but I am going to do some serious research and find one. I know I said that last time. I know. We're just going to make a it. list. We'll just make a list. <laughs> we'll make a list. Well, and the part of it is uh, especially for like, cool people i find on instagram and twitter i want to get their permission right but that involves talking with people and my social anxiety just shuts me down entirely so we'll work on it we'll work on it but this is a really great opportunity to tell you that if you have someone in your life who's just straight up killing it it doesn't have to be a lady he she they them neither or or both Email us at whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com and we'll give them a shout out on the podcast, which essentially makes them immortal. So their their name will be out there forever. Give the gift of immortality this holiday season by getting a shout out on whining about herstory. And then just have them stop listening to the episode after that. Hey, they might be into it. Yeah, (laughs) it depends. If they're okay with like swearing, you can let them keep listening. If they're not okay with swearing, just cut them off after their immortality. I've mentioned this before, but uh, both my parents have heard bits of the podcast, and then my boyfriend's mother has heard some of the podcast, and the overall feedback was, you swear a lot. My mom's (laughs) one question. I don't know if she's listened to it beyond the episode about her, but I remember she was like, did you have to title it that? And I'm like, yes, yes, we did. The savviest fuck Sue. Yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, listen to our Mother's Day episode where we talk about the mother of Mother's Day, but then also Kelly pays a beautiful tribute to her mother, Sue, who's a fucking badass. Yeah, she is. And I, I got your permission. Yeah. Because you're on the podcast. Right. <laughs> I was I like, yeah, hers. go for it. <laughs> but I, I titled it Savvy as Fuck Sue because oh, I funny. love alliteration. Anyway, uh, I picked my I picked the wine this week. Um, yeah, you did. It was a little misguided because we have a winery that's local called Four Daughters. Well, I picked up some Seven Daughters wine. I've done the same thing in the past. 100%. That's why I was like, (laughs) I don't think that's right. Well, I like the number seven better anyway. But it begs the question, why do all these vineyards have so many daughters? Is it something in the grapes that are just Just... like, that Y chromosome needs to get the fuck out of here? (laughs) No. No more men. No. So instead of reading the back, which is not super entertaining, I decided to go onto the website and find some tasting notes and give you guys some cool information. 
And the first thing on the Seven Daughters website is a banner image that says, your best friend is dating your ex. That's screwed up. Unscrew it. Like, that's the slogan. Unscrew it. <laughs> your life is fun. falling apart. Drink wine. Which, yes, that resonates. please. Yeah. Did you mention it's a Moscato that we're drinking? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's a Seven Daughters Moscato. I think next time I'll buy a red. We've been doing a lot of sweets, Moscatos, and whites. I so I can pick some up. Well, you do what you want. But next time I'm going to buy a red because we're we're whining about herstory. We're not Moscato and herstory. <laughs> That'll be our spinoff podcast. Yeah, right. Just Moscato. The other thing this website says, I'm just going to read this. Bad bosses, roommate drama, online dating, dot, dot, dot. It's all so screwed up. Seven Daughters makes wines you can't wait to open. Amazing flavors, each with its own distinctive style. Whatever moves you, there's a Seven Daughters wine that captures the feeling. And then it goes on, but it's not as funny, so I'm not going to keep reading. However, the description for the Seven Daughters Moscato is delightful. Hey, sweet thing, Moscato is having a moment and you'll want to get in on it. Open a chilled bottle and enjoy any time. We think it pairs perfectly with dance parties, closet swaps, poolside lounging, birthdays, and that big promotion. This website feels like it's trying too hard to be hit. I still love it, though. But it's kind of relatable, except these people are having a lot more fun in their lives than I am. (laughs) But it made me smile, so that's all that matters. So, Kelly, what are we cheersing to today? Hmm. The end of the week. TGI feminism. Or, you know, when you're listening <laughs> to this, the beginning of the week. Hopefully we're making your Monday better. Yes. Or whatever day of the week it is when you're listening. Because yes. podcast content is evergreen. Cheers. Cheers. We're using our plastic cups again. We're using our pa- plastic fucking patriarchy wine glasses, so... You have to feel that clink. It's not something you hear. It's something right. you feel deep in inside. Your soul. Deep in your soul. Maybe in your, like, private area. Maybe a little. I really like that. It, it's a good Moscato. Yeah, it smells really good. It's sweet. It's refreshing. It makes me ache for summer. That's how that peach one made me feel. Mm. Like, just smelling it across the table, I was like... Why are we not tubing in a river right now? Yeah, right. You know what's funny? I kind of forget about tubing every year until summer hits and it's like, oh, we have to plan our annual tubing trip. But all I've wanted to do since summer ended is go tubing again and it's just killing me. Like I'm not going to get through the winter. We didn't go tubing this year. We didn't? No, because of the weather. Oh, shit. We went to the Mall of America and said that's why. why. That's why. I know. I was heartbroken. I was like, man, we broke our tradition. That's right. We have gone tubing, Kelly and I, every year for four years. This would have been year number five, I think. Yeah, I think so. And we couldn't go last year because it was uncharacteristically cold and rainy. It was really depressing. We went to the Mall of America and it was fun, but. We went to the aquarium. We stuck our hands and pet some anemones and coral. So we got wet. Yeah, we did. Yeah. It's frothy. <laughs> Emily, Emily got to fawn over her sharks. Oh my god, I love them so much. 
They're so majestic and beautiful. And I love that they could kill you at any moment if they wanted to. Before we get too far off topic, (laughs) who's your lady today? So I'm going first and I am covering Mabel Ping Hua Lee. Nice. Have you heard of her? I have not. I'm not surprised. That's what the whole point. I will strap in over here. I'm going to be really sad the day you're like, I know all about her. She, I wrote a paper on her. Well, that happened for who was it? one of our people, remember? Because it was during our LGBTQ plus month. Yeah. And she was, the person you were doing was in my story. And I was like, I'll just cut her out then. Yeah, you were covering... I think three different trans women, yep. and I covered one of them like really. Yeah, because like, it had to do with um, reassignment surgery. That's yep. what I did. And so I was just like cutting that person out. <laughs> All right. So there has been a lot of celebration in 2019 going over to 2020 because we are coming up to the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment of, to the U.S. Constitution, which gave women the right to vote uh being passed yep. so it was ratified in 1919 and then finally passed in 2020 yep. or in 1920 it was not going to be passed next year yeah that, that would, would be, be really depressing awful so ne- uh so next year will be a hundred years and this is a big That's deal insane and everyone deserves to feel excited the, the 19th amendment was a really big fucking deal however This event is often misrepresented. The 19th Amendment didn't give women the right to vote. It only gave some women the right to vote. As you may or may not know, the right to vote came to many other women much, much later. Like, an embarrassing amount of time later. Oh, I can imagine. Like, that's just sad. It's We're going to get into it, and you might cry. So buckle up. Today, we are going to talk about one of these women who fought fiercely for the right to vote and who, in the end, was excluded from the victory of the 19th Amendment. Mabel Ping Hua Li was born in Guangzhou, China on October 7th, 1896. When she was four years old, her father went to the U.S. to serve as a missionary. Mabel primarily grew up in Hong Kong with her mother and grandmother. She attended a missionary school where she learned English. Mabel was exceptionally bright and won a Boxer Indemnity Scholarship. So these scholarships allowed Chinese students to pursue their education in the United States and granted winners a U.S. visa. So at the time immigration into the united states from china was like really hard so this was a big deal this was her ticket into the u.s mabel moved with her family to new york city's chinatown in 1905 when she was eight or nine or a hundred years old only god knows like many immigrants they lived in a tenement building which was crowded loud and dirty i would love to go to the tenement museum in new york city oh yeah like that has to be on our list of places like when we go our history trip list yes history tour across the nation yes so around this time the suffrage movement was in full swing in the united states the movement had begun to gather momentum in the 1840s and the first women's rights convention took place in seneca falls in 1848 which i know we've talked about because it is also the site of the women's rights national historical park and another location on our Hearst Street tour of America. Yay. 
And, you know, all over the world eventually when we have more money. Yeah. (laughs) Over 60 years later, however, women still didn't have the right to vote. Change is slow. If inevitable, it is slow. By 16 years old, Mabel was deeply involved in New York suffrage movement. The New York Tribune even wrote about her fight to improve the lives of women and her academic accomplishments. I couldn't find the article, but I found an image from it, and so it pictures a a picture, a a picture, a picture, a picture of her with the caption, Chinese girl wants vote. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't surprise me for that time period. Honestly, but still. they could have gone a lot weirder with it. Oh, but yeah. like it was almost this. First of all, she was working really hard in the suffrage movement, which is why she was notable. But it was almost like uh, an oddity or a novelty that like, oh, this Chinese girl wants the right to vote. That's so crazy. Right. It was like early clickbait. Whoa, whoa. Chinese girl wants the right to vote. I got to read about this, bitch. There's no way, man. The article goes on to say, Miss Lee ready to enter Barnard to ride in suffrage parade. When they say she was ready to ride in the parade, they weren't kidding. In 1912, New York City suffragists held a parade to advocate for women's voting rights. Over 10,000 people attended the parade and Mabel helped to lead it on horseback that's cool so she's mounted on this big beautiful horse and she's like i'm gonna vote motherfucker and she's leading thousands of people through the streets like let's fucking do this that same year mabel enrolled at barnard college that's what they're talking about when they say barnard i realize i didn't put any context for that (laughs) at all so this was an all-women's school Barnard was founded in direct opposition to Columbia University when they refused to admit women. So they're like, oh, I'm sorry. You uh, think women are distracting and we're dumb and we don't want education? Well, we're going to make our own school and it's going to be way better than yours. (laughs) There, Mabel joined the Chinese Students Association and continued to be a part of the suffrage movement and advocate for women's rights by writing feminist essays for the Chinese Students Monthly. In these essays, she was able to speak directly to her fellow Chinese students and urge the community to promote women's education and their place in the public sphere. Because at this time, there was the public sphere and the private sphere. The private sphere was home and the public sphere was literally everything else. Women were in charge of the private sphere and then dudes were in charge of everything else. So it's like, hey, we are going to be a part of everything. And you can be a part of the home, too, guys. Like, but we're going to branch out. In one essay titled The Meaning of Women's Suffrage, Mabel argued that women voting was essential to a successful democracy and that, quote, equal opportunities to women, unquote, was the core of true feminism. Because let's remember, feminism is all about opportunity and the right to choose regardless of gender. Mabel gave speeches in support of women's suffrage for the United States and China. So she's in the States, but she's like, hey, I want to vote here, but we should also be able to vote in China. Women should be able to vote everywhere. Such a crazy concept. 
1917, New York State finally pulled their heads out of their asses and passed women's suffrage. The state had rejected it just two years earlier, and mounting pressure and growing support for women's suffrage undoubtedly had an impact. Mabel, in particular, had worked to organize male voters across New York City, where the majority of the votes came from. So she was hitting the ground, hustling like a quaint. However, this victory was only for some women. Many women, including Chinese women, couldn't yet vote. You see, there was this nasty little thing called the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. See? Institutionalized racist bullshit. So this prevented Chinese people from becoming citizens and therefore voting. The act was initially meant to only be temporary uh for like it was like a 10-year suspension like okay well 10 years chinese people can't become citizens and then we'll revisit the matter yep but you know how it goes and it was renewed before being made permanent in 1902 yay this also meant that when the 19th amendment was passed in 1920 it did not apply to mabel Native American women, and other racial minorities because they were not considered citizens. That's heartbreaking. Which is kind of that, like, shitty little workaround. No, no, no. It's not because you're Chinese or Native American or whatever. It's it's because you're not citizens. And citizens shouldn't be able to vote. And, like, that's totally reasonable. No, we all know what's happening here. Though black women were technically given the right to vote, they faced threats, legal suppression, and violence when trying to exercise their rights. Despite this, Mabel would not slow down. The same year that New York granted women the right to vote, Mabel entered Columbia University to earn her doctorate in economics. Economics blows my mind. It's up there with math. Right. Like, what do those classes look like? I don't even, I don't even want to know. I took economics like I in high school. Know, but I kind of don't want to know. And I remember there was something about supply and demand. <laughs> I think that was a yes, basic concept. That was a basic concept. You know? In 1921, Mabel Ping Hua Lee earned her PhD and became the first Asian American woman to graduate from Columbia University. Oh, Boom. Now let's remember this is the same university that originally was like, women are not allowed. And so Barnard College popped up in opposition yep. to that. And so that's where she went. And now she's like, Columbia, if you're not ready, get ready, because here I come. She published her thesis, The Economic History of China, with special reference to agriculture. And people were into it. That's super cool. I don't understand it, but I didn't go to school for economics. I went for writing specifically so I wouldn't have to think about math or economics. But it was it was a it very well cool. received yeah. piece of literature. Mabel had a dream of returning to China to start a a girls' school. Perhaps she wanted to take what she had learned fighting for women's rights in America back home and empower the next generation. But this was not to be, at least not how she had planned. When Mabel's father died in 1924, she took up his torch as the director of the First Chinese Baptist Church of New York City. Mabel continued her local activism by founding the Chinese Christian Center, which acted as a community center for the local Chinese population. The center offered vocational English classes, a health clinic, and even a kindergarten. So it was this all-around resource. Awesome. Yeah. 
for the Chinese community. I like to imagine that she would ride into that kindergarten class on a white horse and was like, so let me tell you about the alphabet. That probably didn't happen, but her three head cannon, she rode to work on a horse and was the most ballin' teacher ever. Heck yeah. As I mentioned before, due to the Chinese Exclusion Act, Mabel didn't benefit from the 19th Amendment. She was planting seeds in a garden she'd never see grow as the act wasn't repealed until... Any guesses? 1971. You went too far with it, (laughs) so it's not as sad now. Good. (laughs) 1943. Okay. Which still still another 23 years. That's awful. Yeah. Uh, So it was repealed when the Magnuson Act was put into place, and even then, it only allowed 105 Chinese people to immigrate to the U.S. and didn't repeal immigration restrictions against other Asian countries. But they were allowed to become citizens. Yeah. 105 Chinese people could become citizens every year. That sucks. Well, that means that, not that a mean, lot. Well, and it mean, probably it was, the question is, did they grant all the Chinese citizens that were already in America immediate citizenship or did they were they part of the 105 every year? I think they had to be a part of the 105. Wow. So the Magnuson Act, while a step in the right direction, wasn't created an acknowledgement of past racism's racism or mistakes. It was a direct result of World War II when China became an American ally and the United States was trying to look like a fair, just, sensible country. So it was like all appearances. It's like, well, China, you helped us out in World War II. I guess a thimble full of your people can become American citizens. I found an application for reentry permit that had been filled out by Mabel when she was in her 40s. It was difficult to get her specific age or dates because she uses check marks for some numbers, like a literal check mark. And I put it out on Twitter if this is a historical thing or maybe it was like a it was common with Chinese immigrants. And I didn't hear anything about it. So I couldn't get a ton of information. At the time of the application, she was single and planning a vacation to visit Canada, Japan, and China. She needed the application so she could legally re-enter the U.S. because, as we've discussed, travel from for Chinese immigrants was highly restricted. Other than this, I couldn't find much else about Mabel after 1924, and I had to dig for that application. Yeah. I had I to get imagine. to, like, yeah. page five of Google. The darkest part of google (laughs) where no one treads right we know she died in 1966 in new york we don't know if she was ever able to become a citizen and cast her vote that she fought so hard for though which is the worst to be continued idk in history Dr. Mabel Pink Wally is one of the many heroes of the suffrage movement that most people have never heard about I did a hashtag search for her name on Instagram, and there were only six posts referencing her, soon to be seven. There is a growing awareness of Mabel and her efforts. With the 100th anniversary of the passing of the 19th Amendment approaching, there's plenty of celebration, but also a growing awareness of the inherent xenophobia and racism that was prevalent in and around the suffrage movement. This shines as a... Spotlight on unsung heroes like Mabel. In 2018, Congresswoman Nidia Velasquez, Velasquez, yes, 
who is the first Puerto Rican woman to serve in the U.S. Congress also, happy little Herstory crossover, proposed a bill to rename a post office in New York's Chinatown in honor of Mabel. It was passed and signed into law in July of that year. While certainly late, the recognition is well-deserved, and we hope there's more to come. Yeah. So I had to beef up this story quite a bit with like, okay, well, what was with the Magnuson Act? What was with the Chinese Exclusion Act? Because we really don't know a ton about Mabel. No. Because she, we, we don't even know if she ever got to vote. But she's notable for being a suffragette. And being the first Asian American woman to earn her doctorate. So, wow. Cheers, Dr. Mabel. Yeah. Pink Wally. So, I do have a say their name that I kind of forgot about and then was reminded of. Um, and I do have permission from this person. Um, so, there's an Etsy shop named Bonnie Fillenworth. So, it's B O N N I E F I L L E N W A R T H. So, Bonnie Fillenworth. And she, for 2020, she has handmade enamel pins for the women's suffragist movement. So they're um, a yellow rose, which has to do with the like ending of the suffragette movement. It's called like the War of the Roses in Tennessee, where people pro women's voting wore yellow roses and anti women's voters wore red. Right, right. I think we. There was I something think we, we covered it, where it yeah. was like a bunch um, of kids. Oh, it was the Mother's Day episode yep. because she was into white roses and then like yellow roses were for future voters yep. or I don't know. something. But yeah. So she she made this enamel pin in yellow and purple that says 1920, 100 years of suffrage to 2020. She has a whole bunch of like other stuff. She has a, um, a painting for Artemisia. She has <gasps> something for um, I just was looking at it, too. Gertrude Ederly, she has a print, <gasps> Ada Lovelace, really? Annie Jump Cannon. She has a whole bunch of stuff for, like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yes. Um. So go check out her Etsy site. It's really, really neat. And she, like I said, she has a lot of, like, st- stuff about, like, women from history and, like, current going-ons. It's really neat. I was going to so say, we've go. covered a few of those women. Yeah, no, I, I purposely picked out the, one, the, like, the ones we covered. But yeah, like she has a Hedy Lamar, a Rosalind Franklin, <laughs> um, like a Women's March thing. It's really cool. So go check it out. That is amazing. And I think I figured out where I'm going to do some of my Christmas shopping. Yeah. Like so. I, I already told Emily that I have pins for, coming for me and her. So way to go, Bonnie. That's really awesome. Bonnie. We love you. Way to keep kicking ass. Right. And I'd also like to do a shout out to Kane and Tall, who reviewed us on uh, Podchaser. Oh, So thank, thank you for your five-star review and the, the nice words. So. I'll have to see what those nice words were yes. later. You don't have um, to read it on air or anything, no, I but I need to pick me up. But. Yeah, and on that note, please review us on iTunes if that's where you listen or Podchaser. Spotify Stitcher. doesn't have ratings, so if you listen on Spotify, go to Facebook and rate us. Yep, Stitcher is a big one. Yeah, so just just please, it makes our day, it makes us more noticeable to other people. And so if you like us, you know, rate us and other people can find us. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for a way to empower women that costs literally no money and takes you five seconds, leave us a review. Yes. It's the easiest thing in the world. Yes. And we will love you. I mean, we love you already, but we will love you more. We'll extra love you. Yes. Yeah. 
When when you tell us to pour you some wine, we're going to fill that bitch until the surface tension is showing. <laughs> Heck yeah, we will. That's how much love there is. All right. I suppose we'll get into mine. Yours was a little depressing. It I don't was, remember if mine is depressing. There were sur- some ups and downs. She was kind of a victim of her time and just the course of history. But she and of herself was like this hustling badass who right? did a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Despite history being a prick. Yeah. So I'm covering Mary Edwards Walker. Do you know who that is? Okay. I do not, but I like she has three names. I know. I do too. So Mary was born in the town of Oswego, New York on November 26, 1832. The daughter to Elva and Vesta Walker. She was the youngest of seven children. Five sisters and one brother. There you go. That's oh six my daughters. God. So close. <laughs> That was almost so appropriate. So close. Hey, we don't know how the brother identified. Yeah, it could have been seven daughters. Elva and Vesta raised both their son and their daughters in a progressive manner that was revolutionary for the time. Their non-traditional parenting nurtured Mary's spirit for independence and a sense of justice that she actively demonstrated throughout her life. Um, It sounds like they're being raised to be like vigilante oh, yeah. superheroes. Well, I mean, they... Their parents were abolitionists, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So yeah, and like yeah, exactly. Like they were vigilante being, exactly. superheroes. Um, so while they were devoted Christians, um, the Walkers were also free thinkers. Like I said, they were abolitionists who raised their children to question the regulations and restrictions of various denominations. Let's be honest: the Christian thing to do is to hate slavery. They That's were true. very good Christians. <laughs> the Walker parents also demonstrated non-traditional gender roles to their children regarding sharing work around the farm. Vesta, the mother, often worked and participated in the heavy labor around the farm, and Elva often took part in the general household chores. Mary remembers working on her family farm as a child, and during that time she wouldn't wear women's clothing during her labor because it was she considered it too restricting. Her mother actually reinforced her views that corsets and tight lacings were unhealthy. But they're totally fine if you're transporting a bunch of patients via plane intercontinentally during war. By yourself. Well, you like like one one other other person person with arthritis. Right. (laughs) So her elementary education consisted of attendance at a local school that her parents had started. They started it because they were determined that their daughters and their son would receive the same education. These are the best parents right? on the face of the yeah. planet. And the school they founded was f- f- was free. And this was the late 1830s. I love my parents. Right? <laughs> this but is a whole other level. can these guys be my, like, aunt and uncle? Right. After finishing primary school, Mary and two of her elder sisters attended Folly Seminary in Fulton, New York. Folly was not only an institute of higher learning, but a place that emphasized modern social reform and gender roles, education, and hygiene. Its ideals and practices further cemented Mary's determination to defy traditional gender standards on principle of injustice. Do you think the progressive hygiene, though, was just bathe regularly? That's all they had to do to be progressive? Probably. Like, living in filth is maybe not the healthiest thing? Maybe don't throw your shit outside your house. Like, maybe go a little further away. Like, wash your hands after you go to the bathroom and then, like, don't make ice cream for people and give them typhoid? Yeah. Basically. Super progressive. I wish more um, schools taught that. Yeah, right? In her free time, Mary would often go over her father's medical texts on anatomy and physiology, which is weird. 
but she became super interested in medicine and you know it's probably because of that like that she just had free access to go and you know study what she wanted basically from her right. father's library she was doing more than just looking at all the cross-section illustrations and right. going ew like exactly. you know some people not me but some people as a young woman she taught at a school in Manetto, new york and eventually earned enough money to pay her way through syracuse medical college Damn. where she graduated with honors as a medical doctor in 1855 the only woman in her class I wonder when they started allowing women to become I know. I doctors. Didn't, I didn't look at that, but... But she was the she first. Was, well, she, I don't know if she was the first. She was the only woman in her class. Okay. It was still an anomaly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She married fellow medical student Albert Miller in November of 1855, shortly before, shortly before she turned 23. Um, she wore a skirt with trousers underneath and refused to include the word obey in her vows. Yeah, which is, that was girl. me. Not the trouser part, but the obey part. Um, she also had baskets of flip flops around right. for her guests. They're like, she's like, girl, I know those heels are super uncomfortable. Let your feet breathe. Um, she also chose to retain her last name, all of which, you know, definitely showed her obstinate nonconformity in her nature. Um, they set up a joint practice in Rome, New York. Uh, however, it didn't do very well as female physicians were generally not trusted at the time. Oh, fuck. I know, but it's a thing. They later divorced on account of her husband's infidelity. You bitch! How dare you cheat on the most incredible woman alive at this point? Right. Afterward, walk, uh, Mary briefly attended Bowen College, which was later named Lennox College, uh, in Hopkinton, Iowa in 1860 until she was suspended for refusing to resign from the school's debating society, which until she had joined had been all male. Okay. So she's going to school and she's like, you know what? I'm going to join the debating society. And they're like, but boobs, but lady. And she's probably just too good for them. And they were like, fuck this shit. They were like, here's why a woman needs to obey and take her husband's last name. And she was like, okay, okay, I hear you. But here's why you're totally wrong. Right. And they just, had like, no rebuttal. Yeah. And they're like, she, she was being mean to us. And we can't have her because she's a lady and she's distracting us with her completely covered body. Right. I can see her chin. I can see her ankles. <laughs> that wrist is salacious. <laughs> So inspired by her parents' um, novel standard for dressing for health purposes, not fashion, she was infamous for contesting traditional female... She was infamous for contesting traditional female wardrobe. In 1871, she wrote, quote, The greatest sorrows from which women suffer today are those physical, moral, and mental ones that are caused by their unhygienic manner of dressing. End quote. Clothes will kill. Yeah. She strongly opposed women's long skirts with numerous petticoats, not only for their discomfort and their inhibition to the wearer's mobility, but for their collection and spread of dust and dirt. As a young woman, she began experimenting with various skirt lengths and layers, all with men's trousers underneath. By 1861, her typical ensemble included trousers with suspenders under a knee-length dress with a tight waist and a full skirt. She sounds like the most fashionable person. Like, if she walked into any coffee shop nowadays, right. everyone would be like, 
this bitch knows what's up. Right. Let me copy her because I love it. Yeah, I know. I'm like, it sounds Suspenders really nice. on women are hot. I know. I just want to say Suspend- it. Generally, I'm a fan of suspenders Suspenders in gender, and bow ties on men, women, non-binary people are fucking hot. Yeah, I know. That's why I went bow ties for my wedding. I was walking around the Mayo Clinic yeah. one time and there were these two gentlemen. Everyone's wearing like the long tie, the yeah. gray, blue, or black suits. Everyone kind of looks yep. the same. These two gentlemen were in some like tweed khaki suits with little bow ties and like striped shirts and like they just they looked like as hipster as you can be working at the Mayo Clinic and I was just like I want to steal your clothes yeah you look fantastic never change (laughs) so um she was encouraged by her family to do whatever she want wanted with her wardrobe choices however she was often met with criticism from everyone else society um once while she was a school teacher she was assaulted on her way home by a neighborhood farmer and a group of boys who chased her and attacked her with eggs and other missiles what the fuck yep like what kind of person do you have to be where this upsets you so much that you're like i'm gonna try to kill this person with eggs and other missiles well still like no but yeah like who does that like you're it's like those kids at school who wear like a little boy i read the story he had a my little pony sweatshirt that's cute it was adorable but all the other kids were bullying him him. oh and that's my next thing and the school's response was well maybe he shouldn't wear the sweatshirt then because he's inciting violence against himself to which the dad was like y'all can go fuck yourselves this is going my kid to a different school yeah Yeah. but it's like blaming the victim because other people can't handle their own shit right so my next line is yeah female colleagues in medical school often criticized her choices, and even patients gawked at her and teased her. Jesus. Uh, she nevertheless persisted. Yay! Um, Drink it, every time we ever say that. Right. In her, so in her mission to reform women's dress, her view that women's dresses should, quote, protect the person and allow freedom of motion and circulation and not make the wearer a slave, end quote, made her commitment to dress reform as great as her zeal for abolitionism. She famously wrote to a women's journal, uh, which was named The Sybil, a review of tastes, errors, and fashion of society about her campaign against women's fashion, amongst other things, for its injuries to health, its expense, and its contribution to the dissolution of marriages. Her literature contributed to the spread of her ideas and made her a popular figure amongst amongst other feminists and female physicians. She's finding her people. She's finding her people. Outside of Iowa. The American Civil War. Oh, my God. The next header is American Civil War. Oh, that little thing. Um, So, at the outbreak of the American Civil War, Mary volunteered as a surgeon because that's what she is. Yeah! First for the army, who rejected her because she was a woman. No. Um, despite her having kept a private practice for many years. Um, she then off- she was offered the role of a nurse but declined and chose to volunteer as a surgeon for the Union Army as a civilian instead. So the army wouldn't officially hire her. Yeah, so she's like, fine, I'll just... As long as they didn't have to pay her, yeah. they were like, She was like, okay. fine, I'll just fucking volunteer. Fuck them! What the hell? The U.S. Army had no female surgeons, and at first she was only allowed to practice as a nurse. During this period, she served on the first Battle of Bull Run, and at the patent, 
Office Hospital in Washington, D.C. She worked as an unpaid field surgeon near the Union Front, including at the Battle of Fredericksburg and Chattanooga, um, and would often cross lines to um, heal, like, civilians. Do you think that her Sarah Emma Edmonds and Clara Barton all met and had this, like, one singular, overly empowering female moment. So this is what it says. As a suffragist, she was happy to see women serving among the soldiers. And she she even alerted the press to the case of Frances Hook in Ward 2 of the Chattanooga Hospital, a woman who had served in the Union forces disguised as a man. Yes! So uh, to me, I don't know if this is uh, true, but I like to imagine if she operated on someone and found out they were a female, she just like was like, nope, I'm going to not tell anyone. There is this knowing nod and a wink like, girl, I got you. Um, So she was the first Female surgeon of the Union Army, she wore men's clothes during her work, claiming it to be it was easier to move around for the high demands of her work. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, in September 1862, Walker wrote to the War Department requesting employment as a spy, but she was declined. Oh! Yeah. In 1863, she was employed as a contract acting assistant surgeon. Civilian. Like They had to put that in there. It was like a fancy way of saying... Okay, you do you, but we're not going to really acknowledge you well, as a part of the army. Yeah, they're like we we're. I think at that point they had they were paying her because she's a cr- contract, but they're like, but you're yeah. not you're not one of us. You're not in the army. Yeah, you sit at that table. We sit at this table, right? Um, so that she that she was employed by the Army of the Cumberland, becoming the first female surgeon employed by the U.S. Army surgeon. Damn. So, so that's pretty cool. In my there we go. I was like, my notes just went. Um, <laughs> they are overwhelmed by the incredibleness yeah, of this woman. Uh, Mary was later appointed assistant surgeon of the 52nd Ohio Infantry. And during, like, as I said, during her service, she frequently cut cross battle lines and treated civilians. Didn't matter if they were Union or Confederate. Aww. Um, on April 10th, 1864, she was captured by Confederate troops and arrested as a spy. <laughs> no, just, they just, wouldn't let me. I know, just, no. Hey, um, guys, don't get me wrong. I would love to be spying on you, but they wouldn't let me. Right. Um, and she was captured just after she finished helping a Confederate doctor perform an amputation. Oh, so she fuck was over them. there helping them. And then fuck they. Them. Yeah. She was sent to Castle Thunder in Richmond, Virginia, and remained there until August 12th, 1864. So. Four, four months. Four months. Four months. Oh four months and God. two days. When she was released as part of a prisoner exchange. While she was in prison, she refused to wear the clothes provided for her that were said to be, quote, becoming of her sex. So they were like, here, wear this dress. And she was like, no. No, I, I don't do she was that. Like, no, I'm good. Do you even know me? Um, she was exchanged for a Confederate surgeon from Tennessee on August 12th, as I said. She went on to serve as a supervisor of a female prison in Louisville, Kentucky after that, and then as the head of an orphanage in tennessee oh she kind of just went on to do other other things other medical yeah magic um after the war she was awarded a disability pension for a particular for partial muscular atrophy suffered when she was imprisoned by the enemy oh no she was given 850 a month which is 134 dollars and 20 cents today i actually looked this up this at time. least she got a pension like that um, sucks she right? suffered but so that she got a pension starting in 1865, and in 1899 they raised her pension to twenty dollars a month, which oh. is six sixty four fifty six. Holy today. shit! 
So yeah, they actually like upped it, which is nice. Some decent walking around money. Right. She became a writer and lecturer supporting such issues as healthcare, temperance, women's rights, and dress reform. So she kind of just like kept right on her path. Yeah. Um, she was frequently arrested for wearing men's clothing and, it, and insisted on her right to wear clothing that she thought was appropriate. She wrote two books that discussed women's rights and dress and dress reform. She, and she replied to cri- criticism of her attire as, quote, I don't wear men's clothes. I wear my own clothes. Yes. That reminds me of uh, Luisa Capetillo, who was oh, arrested yep. for wearing pants. It wasn't illegal to wear pants. It just upset people so much that they were like, we can't have this. We're arresting right. you because you're giving me weird feelings. Well, uh, this is mine for her. In 1870, Mary was arrested in New Orleans and mocked by men because she was dressed as a man. And looked better than them. The arresting officer, Mullahay, twisted her arm and <gasps> asked if she had ever had sex with a man. Walker was released from custody when she was recognized at the court. What the fuck, dude? Yeah, I was like, like, at first I was like, is he asking that because he thinks she's like trans or gay or something like that? Yeah. Like, either way, like, that's terrible. There's definitely some homophobia in there because to them she's cross-dressing. Oh, yeah, exactly. Which is a huge no-no. That's why I like her thing. I'm, it's like, I'm not wearing men's clothes. I'm wearing my own clothes. Yeah, I'm wearing pants. I'm a woman. Like, my pants don't determine my sex or gender. Um, walk, uh, Mary was a member of the Central Women's Suffrage Bureau in Washington yeah, yeah. and solicited funds to endow a chair f- for a female professor at Howard University Medical School. So she's like, hey, let's get some, like, women in these higher up positions. Um, she attempted to register to vote in 1871 and was turned away. Obviously. Aww. The initial stance of the movement following her lead was to claim that women already had the right to vote and Congress needed only to enact enabling legislation. So that was like the original thought process. I like that. It's like, no. It's kind of true. We all get to vote. You're just not letting us right. because you're being assholes. After a number of fruitless years advocating this position, the rest of the movement promoted the adoption of a constitutional amendment, which is where we ended up. Um, this was diametrically opposed to Mary's position, and she fell out of favor with the, the suffragist movement. So she, she was like, this this isn't an argument. We don't need yeah, like, legislation. We don't need another amendment. We can already vote. Yeah, we fucking live here. Yeah, We're citizens. So. I don't see the problem. I get what she's saying, because right. the legislation almost shows that no women were not allowed to vote. Or like... Right. They weren't considered worthy of the vote. And she's like, no, we are. Like, we're people. We shouldn't need to exactly. fuck around with all this bure- bureaucracy. Yeah. She she did continue to attend suffrage conventions and distribute her own literature, but was basically ignored by the rest of the movement. Um, and her penchant for wearing masculine clothing, including a top hat, um, didn't really help her situation. She's too woke for them um she did however receive a more favorable reception in england than she did in the united states Yay. um she concluded in 1897 quote i am the original new woman why before lucy stone miss mrs bloomer elizabeth caddy Statton, and susan b anthony were before they were i am in the early 40s when they began their work in dress reform i was already wearing pants i have made it possible for the bicycle girl to wear the abbreviated skirt and i have prepared the way for the girl in the knickerbockers yes quote. Uh, mrs bloomer is on my list to cover i was Just gonna so say you know. that's why we call them bloomers yep 
Um, so that that's how she felt, and I'm like, yeah, that, yeah, okay. Um, in 1907, Walker published Crowning Constitutional Argument, in which she argued that some states, as well as the federal constitution, had already granted women the right to vote. She then testified on a woman's suffrage before committees of the U.S. House of Representatives in 1912 and 1914. After a long illness, which I couldn't find what it was. Um, Walk- she was just so fucking sick right. of everyone. <laughs> Walker died at home on February 21st, 1919 at the age of 86. <gasps> she was buried in a rural cemetery in Oswego, New York, in a plain funeral with an American flag draped over her casket oh. and wearing a black suit instead of a dress. Uh, her death in 1919 came one year before the passage of the 19th Amendment, which granted the women the right to vote. I was going to say, was she even around to see it ratified? No, which is God really, damn it! Really sad. That is Oh, you thought my story was sad? I know. This is awful. Oh, there's more. So this is honor and awards that she won during her life. So this was, this is a weird thing. So after the war, she sought retroactive um, commission to validate her service. President Johnson directed Secretary of War Edwin Stanton to study the legality of the issue. And he solicited an opinion from the Army Judges Advocate General who determined uh, that there was no precedent for commissioning a female, but that a commendatory acknowledgement could be issued in lieu of a, a, a commission. Um, this led President Johnson to personally award her the Medal of Honor as an alternative. Aww. Thus, Walker was not formally recommended for the Medal of Honor, which was which is unusual because usually you have to be recommended for it and then they give it to you. Um, so, but they gave it to her. However... Oh, don't. There's this no. whole thing. That sentence is over. We're so happy. <laughs> in 1916, Congress created a pension act for Medal of Honor recipients, and in doing so, created a separate Army and Navy Medal of Honor, um, at which point the Army was di- uh, directed to review the eligibility of prior recipients in a separate bill not related to the pension, um, but which had been requested by the Army in order to retroactively police undesirable awards, basically. So she... Got the Medal of Honor, but then they were um, like, hey, Army, double check and make sure that everyone we've given the Medal of Honor to all willy-nilly yeah. actually deserves um, it. So it says, the Army had not published regula- regulations until that point, and the law had very few requirements, meaning that recipients could earn a medal for virtually any reason, oh. resulting in nearly 900 awards for el- el- enlistment extensions not in combat. Um, so they deliberated for a year and struck 911 names from the Army Medal of Honor roll. Damn. So they were giving it out willy-nilly. Yeah, they kind of Oh. Were. Including those of Dr. Mary Edwards Walker. And no! Bu- and uh, Buffalo Bill Cody also got his name taken off the list Jeez. as well. Both were considered ineligible from the, for the Army Medal of Honor because the 1862, 1863, and 1904 laws required recipients to be officers or enlisted members. They wouldn't let her. Yeah, exactly. In Mary, oh. in Mary's case, she was a civilian contract servant and was not commission, a commissioned officer. Never, nevertheless, the Medal of Honor Board perhaps discriminated against Walker because it declined to revoke the medal of uh, the medal of at least two other contract surgeons who were equally ineligible. I'm just sitting here yep. doing the jerk off motion because I have nothing else to do to vent my rage. Right. Hold on, I need to skip ahead i kind of want to go punch something 
Right? I'm really um, angry. The disenrolled recipients were not ordered to return their medals per a recommendation from the Army judge, who noted that Congress did not grant the Army the jurisdiction to enforce this provision of the statute, um, rendering both the repossession and criminal pen- penalties inoperative. Okay. I'm there's, sorry. There's more. We're not done. <laughs> it gets better. Good. Um, although several sources attribute President Jimmy Carter with restoring Mary's Medal of Honor posthumously, this is probably incorrect since the action was taken well below the Secretary of the Army. Okay. <laughs> um, it actually happened at the level of the Army's Assistant Secretary for Manpower and Reserve Affairs, which was acting on a recommendation from the Board of Correction of Military Records. In fact, both the Ford and Carter administrations opposed the restoration Jimmy and the Carter White House reacted with confusion to the announcements on the board decision. Um, but the whole point of that was hers did get restored posthumously, posthumously, but it did get restored. It was kind of controversial because it raised a separate power issue because they were like, well, can the board really do that without permission from other people? But it went through. Good. So, um, I just I love that the government was like, OK, army. Go back and review all these Medal of Honors. Make sure they're all worthy. Okay, you think 99% of the people don't deserve them? Cool. You can't do anything about it, right. though. You can't take them away. Like, what was the point? It, their record keeping shows that they didn't get them. I don't know. Um, I hate bureaucracy. Well, it was great is when Mary received the Medal of Honor, she felt that she had been awarded the Medal of Honor because she had gone into enemy territory to care for the suffering inhabitants when no man had the courage to do so for fear of being imprisoned. Which I think it's great that she did that. That she'd yeah. go over and treat civilians. Like Her whole thing was to do no harm. She's, if you're hurt, I'm here to help. Right, exactly. It's like Clara Barton. She just treated everybody. She was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 2000. During World War II, a Liberty ship, the SS Mary Walker, was named after her. She has a stamp, history people out there. Our history stamp collectors. Yep. There was a 20-cent stamp honoring her birthday. Mm, it's because she got a $20 pension. Right. Jingling that change in her pants pockets <laughs> like a boss. Um, there are a few medical facilities in Oswego named after her. You know, because obviously that's where she was from. Mm-hmm. Um, the United States Army Reserve Center is named for her in Walker, Michigan. The Whitman Walker Clinic in Washington, D.C. is named in honor of her and the poet Walt Whitman, who oh, was cool. a nurse during the Civil War. Really? Yeah. I, I didn't, didn't know, know that. that. <laughs> Good for him. She has, uh, there's a national training center in California named in her honor. There's a 30-bed transitional residence in uh, of for veterans and particularly for homeless women's veterans actually Aww. which is really nice in philadelphia and then there's a 900 pound bronze statue uh in front of the oswego new york town hall yes which is that open that was revealed in 2012 so that's, that's amazing but yeah i thought she was really cool and i know when i read that i was like you fucking took away her and then i'm like oh okay <laughs> you gave it back rage rage fucking rage i so when you got to the Civil War part, I think I remembered seeing her when I was looking for female veterans to cover, yep. and I didn't. And I'm so glad I know her story though, because she popped up on a lot of lists. Yeah, but well, I, I just never love heard that of her. she like she'd cross lines. Like she's yeah. like, no, I don't, I don't. 
Like, it doesn't say she crossed lines to help soldiers, because then she probably would have gotten in trouble. But, she, you know, to, like, go help civilians. She's like, no, that person's fucking wounded. I'm going to go fucking help them. Yeah. No good's going to come from me just laying that person's leg fall off from infection. Right. I know. that's That made me so mad, too. I'm like, she just helped your doctor complete an amputation. And then you're like, oh, by the way. You arrested. And you have to wear dresses now. I like that she's and like, no. Maybe dicks. That's what I wonder. I'm like, did she just like sit there naked or did she just not change her clothes for those four months? She, what she did was she put the skirt on and then like ripped it down the middle and then tied it to her ankles yep. to be like faux Pan- pants. Like faux pants. Yeah. She's like, I'm wearing your skirt. What you gonna do, yeah, bitches? bitches. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh. such an incredible story. And she was killing it on all all fronts yeah she was pretty amazing oh my god I, and i like that like her and her husband's practice didn't do well but then she kind of went on just to have her own private practice oh, she, after yeah. she was a fucking after he was a fucking asshole and then she you know r- briefly ran like a women's correctional Insu- institute and a orphanage like she just did all this random shit you know her ex-husband could have had a bad bitch non-committal was... helped him with his career right. just a little nice. i love lizzo <laughs> nice She's 100% that bitch. (laughs) Yeah, it's his fault. Yeah. He was not good enough for her. He was intimidated by her power. And her pants. And her pants. He was jealous. I'm going to go find a woman in a skirt because it makes me feel more masculine. Yeah. He was jealous that she looked better in pants than him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was like, whoa, what the? That's not how this is supposed to work. (laughs) I'm supposed to look good in pants. And she's like, Oh, aren't You're you so cute? Yeah, like a little pat oh, on the head. Baby, do you want to wear some pants and look handsome? <laughs> First oh. three head cannon right there. God damn. That conversation 100% happened. Yes. All right. Well, that is the end of our episode. So, Emily, what are you thankful for? Oh, you got to ask me this time. Yeah. I just snuck it in. And now I am wildly unprepared. Yay. That's usually what happens <laughs> when you ask me. Oh, God. So I guess this isn't so much of a thankful thing, but like uh, something that happened that made me feel really good. So I'm thankful that I feel good. I uh, I started going to boxing again. I stopped going for several months and I'm happy to be doing it. It makes me feel pa- empowered and it helps me express my rage in a constructive way. But there's a woman who I met through boxing and she's a single mom. Her child, uh, I think he has... ADHD, ADD. So like it's rough, you know? Oh, yeah. She that... faces a lot of challenges. And I see her at the gym all the time and she fucking just murders everything. Like if she got mad at me, I would be dead. Like she'd give me a look and I just dropped dead. She's just so powerful. And I was talking with her the other day and I was like, you know, I see you here and it's really inspirational because you just whenever you work out you just put everything into it she goes oh well like i'm really inspired by you too because i see you here all the time and i know you don't like running and i see you on the treadmill and like good for you and we've had some really good conversations about you know not judging others and you know everyone's going through something that you don't understand and uh my hip surgery came up and she goes oh my god that's right you have fucked up hips and you're still here (laughs) she didn't say fucked up hips but she's like and you're still here and doing this oh my god like it just made me feel really good all the time i love you about working out i'm like you're the best i love you but it was a really cool like empowered women empower women moment oh yeah and especially because 
I don't like to talk to people. Oh, yeah. And so getting we're, to know we're, we're someone like a little vicariously through exercise and then having that kind of empowering connection moment was really cool. So, yeah, that made me happy and I'm thankful. Aw. Yay. I can't. I had. I was just telling Emily this that I had something and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> but I'm gonna go with. I'm really thankful that I had my follow ups on Monday, and they said I'm doing really good. Okay. Everything's healing well. Like everything's going really well. So I'm thankful for that. You didn't tell me you had your follow ups. I'm sorry. I'm you're supposed to tell me. Being. You're supposed to live tweet your doctor's <laughs> appointments. Doctor, hold on, hold on. I don't have Twitter outside of this podcast. How do you spell that? Is it two eyes? Is it is, is there, there an umlaut X in, in there? there? <laughs> is there an, a fucking umlaut? Is it an E with like an accent? Which way is the uh, accent going? <laughs> yeah, right. That's amazing. I'm happy for you. I'm really proud of you because I know the surgery leading up to it has been tough and recovery is not fun, but you seem to no, be doing really I would, well. I would actually really like to go back to work. So, well. You can go back to my work. <laughs> you know how fucked up everything would be? You'd come back and you'd be like, Kelly, what are you doing? I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know what you do. Bold of you to assume I would go back. Yeah, right. <laughs> You'd be like, no. No, no. You're uh, you're in it. It's like the monkey paw. You accepted it and it's not my problem right. anymore. All right. So on top of that, we'll have our Patreon up by Monday because I haven't done that yet. We're not talking about that. So by the time this episode <laughs> goes live... Our Patreon will be up. You don't have to donate, but if you want to, go check it out. We're going to make it really easy to donate at any level that you can afford. If you don't rate and review us, please join our Patreon. Actually, do both. Actually, do both. Yeah, do both. Or at least rate and review us. If you have a little extra Skrilla lying around, empower us with your Skrilla. (laughs) 100% go rate and review. Yes. But if you can... I'm just saying, okay with if you want to take the next step, if you want to commit to us, because we're looking for something deep and special. And we, we want that connection. With we you. want that connection. We want a commitment. And uh, we're ready. We're ready to welcome you into our lives. We are. Yeah. With really dumb videos, probably. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, other than that, please... Find us on Twitter at W-A-H underscore pod. Instagram at W-A-H pod. Um, we already talked about our email, which is whiningabouthistory at gmail.com. We have a blog at whiningabouthistory.com, which has our show notes and stuff like that. And more to come. Oh, and a Facebook, Whining About Herstory. Please like us. Follow us, rate and review, five stars, send us some love, send us your recommendations, send us your say their names. Send us everything. Send us everything. Maybe not everything. Not dick pics. Yeah, I was gonna say, let's back up. This is not everything consent. appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> everything appropriate. But thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.